Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. If you could, open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. And as uh, Pastor Brandon mentioned, it is... Um, a huge desire of ours to uh, lead through the spirit of teamwork, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning. Um, I'm also thankful that I'm in a support role because one of the big uh, things that I don't love doing is uh, choosing a passage. So I'm always appreciative to be handed a passage because I love to study, but landing on the passage is always an interesting journey. But He sent me this passage, and I looked at it, and I said, Pastor Brandon. And those of you that are in the growth point class on Sunday mornings will understand the statement. I said, it's it's because it's Moses, isn't it? (laughs) And uh, at first, he didn't know what I was talking about. He was like, no, I like Moses. I'm not trying to avoid avoid Moses. And I was like, it's because I've been speaking about Moses for the past 10 weeks, right? And he was like, oh, actually, I didn't even think about that. Um, So those of you that were in the growth point class this morning, you're getting a double dose of Moses this morning. Uh, But hopefully at this point, you're in Hebrews chapter 11, and starting in verse 24, as we'll continue uh, taking a look at how uh, Jesus is better than anything and anyone, and how everyone in the Old Testament demonstrated that. In the 1950s, Johns Hopkins professor Kurt Richter conducted an experiment, and in that experiment, he was comparing, comparing both domestic and wild rats. And it was a gruesome experiment. You know, when you read some experimental studies, you think to yourself, who comes up with this idea? Uh, But his idea, and this is literally what the experiment was, was to take jars, half fill them with water, place both wild and domestic rats inside, and watch them drown. That's what the experiment was. But the idea behind it was to measure whether or not there was a difference in how long Domestic versus wild rats were willing to swim. And so after conducting his experiment, he found that the majority of domesticated rats were actually willing to tread water for days at a time before they would drown. On the other hand, wild rats did not nearly have the longevity of domesticated rats. As Richter dropped them into the water, one by one, they all met the same fate. Within minutes, they looked around themselves, they evaluated their circumstance, they gave up, swam to the bottom, and died. Why are all these rats dying, Richter wondered to himself. Why do wild rats die within minutes while domesticated rats will sit there and tread water for days? And so he adjusted his experiment. And he took similar wild rats and he put them in the jar, but this time... He, he considered the average time it took the wild rats to die. And right before he expected them to drown, he would rescue them. He then gave them a brief time to recover. He placed them back into the jar. But this time, the rats did not give up after a few minutes. This time, the wild rats were even willing to tread water for days. They were willing to endure. In this way, he wrote, the rats quickly learn that the situation is not actually hopeless. After the elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not die. And so when the wild rats learned that hope was possible, 
they had a reason to endure. I don't know about you, but as you read the Old Testament, if there's anybody in the Old Testament that needed a reason to endure, it was probably Moses. There's a saying among pastors that pastoral ministry can be a death by a thousand cuts. Not here, of course. Both Pastor Brandon and I have have observed that we have a great amount of unity here. Uh, We don't experience that here, and we praise the grace of the Lord for that. And I think that all of us that participate in this ministry are very thankful for the unity that we experience here, but some pastors out there feel nitpicked to death. Some say to their pastor, you preach too short. Others say, you preach way too long. I was literally in a pastor's meeting, and I was blown away by this, where a church member came in, and I'm not this, I wasn't the senior pastor, and so it wasn't directed at me, but I'm sitting in that meeting, a, a church member came in, and they directed their statement to our senior pastor, and they said, You know, every week I come and I hear you preach, and it's just always about the gospel. And I was blown away. I was like, man, that's the, that's, what else is there? That's the central theme. People will say some crazy things. You're too shallow. You're too deep. You're too ugly. Just, I've never heard anybody say you're too ugly. But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it's happened at some point out there. Who knows what some people say or why they say it, but regardless of what any pastors face in ministry today, I doubt that any of them can hold the candle to what Moses faced. Moses is called by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, and as soon as he does, do you know what they say? They look at Moses and they say, thanks a lot, Moses. What? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? And they continually railed on him for the next 40 years. No wonder he got frustrated with them by the end. And of course, the shocking reality of all of that in Moses' life is that this was Moses' life, and it was Moses' life by choice. Because you see, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. He had access to prestige and power. He had access to the greatest education in the world of that time. But he rejected it all, and he chose to serve the ungrateful people of God. The question is, why? And the world would ask that question. Why, Moses, would you forsake palaces for these peasants? Well, it shouldn't surprise any of us at this point, but we'll say it anyway. Moses chose to reject all that Egypt had to offer because he did it by, what do you think? Faith. Like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Jacob, and Joseph before him, Moses bore witness that Jesus is better than anything and anyone. So let's consider this morning together Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24. And the author of Hebrews writes, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. 
Moses grew up as a prince in Egypt, and as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he had the privilege of wealth, of culture, of education, and all that this world had to offer. According to Acts chapter 7 and verse 22, he was highly skilled and highly educated. Moses grew up in a situation, I would say, like most of us today. If you consider uh, the world on a grand scheme of history, we live in one of the wealthiest civilizations, in one of the most technologically advanced societies in all of human history. And like Moses... Our faith demands that we evaluate our priorities. This morning, the faith of Moses calls us to evaluate the priorities and motives of our own lives and to reject the prestige and power of this world for for the surpassing value of the perfections of Christ. And so first, as we consider Moses' life, we must first consider that true faith rejects the prestige of this world. If we're to consider again verses 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews writes, By faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses had all the privilege that anybody could ask for in all the world at that time. Actually, Egypt was the most powerful, wealthy nation in all the world at that time. Ironically, as you look at the Exodus, the reason why the Egyptians were the most powerful and wealthy nation of that time was because of the work of an Israelite named named Joseph. But eventually, down the line, as Pastor Brandon uh, laid out for us last week, there arose a pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And he presumed that all of the wealth, all of the grandeur, all of the blessing of Egypt was because of him and their gods. Well, Egypt was very successful, but it was only because they had the blessing of God, specifically because God used Egypt in order to grow the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel went into Egypt as a family, as Pastor Brandon observed last week, about 70 people, and they left about 2 million people. Egypt was greatly blessed because God used them in order to grow his promise that he made towards Abraham. And Moses grew up in a time where the wealth of Egypt had perhaps reached its height. And the author of Hebrews tells us that he looked around at everything that Egypt had to offer, and he refused And that word refused appears a few other times in our Bible. It appears in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33, where Jesus warns, but whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my father who is in heaven. It's the same exact word that is used in Hebrews chapter 11 in reference to Moses. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, whoever will not identify with me Whoever doesn't have his identity in me, him I will refuse. You refuse me? That means that when you stand before my Father, we must refuse you as well. Or in Luke chapter 22 and verse 57, but he denied him saying, woman, I do not know him. Again, the idea there is is that this is Peter 
during Jesus' crucifixion, he faces the temptation of whether or not he should identify himself with Christ, and he fails the initial test. He refuses or he denies Christ. Or in Acts chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, But you denied the Holy One and the just. Peter, who later repented of his sin, identified himself wholeheartedly with Christ and presented the gospel to a great multitude of people. When he presents the gospel, says to the Jews, rightly so, but you refused to identify yourself with God's holy and just one. And instead, you chose to identify yourself with a murderer. And that murderer was given to you. Or in Titus, verses 1 and verse 16, that there are some that profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him or they refuse to be identified with him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And so we see repeated over and over again as this word is used, that the word refused carries with it the idea of placing your identity with someone or something. And Moses, when he looks at all that Egypt has to offer, all the wealth, all the treasure, all the education, all the privilege, he says, you know what? I don't want that. Now that begs the question, if you are going to reject literally all the wealth of this world, why? Well, let's continue. It says that he refused to be identified with Egypt. Why? Because he made a choice. It says that he was choosing. And that word for choosing means to carefully weigh two options. The idea that the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate is, is that it's not as if Moses made a flippant decision. Oh, you know, I think I'll do this today. It's not like he rolled out of bed one morning and said, you know what? These Egyptians are a little strange, and I'm going to try to be an Israelite for a little while and just see how it fits. Right? That's not what Moses did. Moses carefully considered. He weighed two options to see which one had more value, and he made a choice. And his choice was to refuse Egypt and to choose what? Well, instead, he chose rather to suffer. What an odd choice. <laughs> All the riches of this world are suffering, and Moses says, which one's more valuable? And he says, suffering. That's the one. Why? Well, we begin to know the idea why as uh, God reveals himself in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9 where God communicating through Isaiah says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. In that God has always identified himself with his people and Moses refused all the grandeur of Egypt. Why? Because he considered it more value to be identified with the suffering of the people of God. And he chose suffering rather than enjoying pleasures. You know, sometimes we uh, look at our Christian life and we make a, a different conclusion. Not, not as the overarching principle of our life, right? The overarching principle of any Christian's life is that God is more valuable than the treasures of this world. 
But there are moments when we mess up, right? Like Peter, and we deny him. And the reason we do so is because we weigh out those two options and we say, you know what, if I were to follow God wholeheartedly, God's going to ask me to go somewhere I don't want to go. God's going to ask of me something I don't want to give. God is going to demand unpleasantness from my life. And in the case of Moses, that was not wrong. <laughs> there were some unpleasant things that Moses faced, but uh, we also see in the New Testament that there's actually only one other time that this word for enjoying pleasures is mentioned. It's mentioned here, and it's mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 where it says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Command those, Paul writes, who have the wealth of this world to not consider it to be too valuable. Why? Nor to trust in uncertain riches. Ah, there's the idea. Because they're uncertain. Moses knew that idea. Moses weighed out the options and he said, ah, the wealth of Egypt or suffering with God's people. And he said, you know, one thing I know about Egypt is that the pleasures of Egypt will pass away. This is the same thing uh, that Paul recognizes as writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that the rich warn them, command them, don't value your riches too much because they're uncertain, they'll pass away. But place value where? In the living God who gives us richly and is the only other time this word is mentioned, all things to enjoy. Sometimes we make a different conclusion than Moses because we think, you know what, God's going to ask me to do things that I don't really want to do. But God actually is calling us away from temporary pleasures to permanent everlasting pleasures. The Psalms tell us that at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so Moses carefully weighed out his options and he made his choice. I would rather have suffering than pleasures I would rather have reproach. As we continue to read, he says that he chose not just suffering, but reproach. The word here for reproach means to insult. Instead of identifying himself with the prestige of Egypt, being Pharaoh's own daughter, we're not, oops, sorry, we're not, Moses didn't live in the 21st century. He wasn't Pharaoh's daughter, he was he didn't want to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There we go. That's, that's the correct. He didn't want to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which brought great honor. Instead, he wanted to be identified with the suffering of the people of God. He wanted reproach. Again, the idea is that he is identifying himself with Christ by identifying himself with God's people. We see in Romans chapter 15 and verse 3, for even Christ made this choice. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches, there's that word again, the reproaches or the insults of those who insulted you fell on me. And Moses carefully weighs his options, carefully considers the value. And he says, you know what? The insults of Christ are better than the honors of Egypt. It literally says that he chose reproach over treasures, considering the reproach to be more valuable. That word for treasures here in this passage is the word for treasure box. The idea is, is that Moses considered all the collective wealth of Egypt. 
all that it had to offer, and it was all his. He was part of the royal family. And he said, you know what? Considering everything Egypt has to offer, I refuse it. You know, as a member of Pharaoh's court, I'm sure Moses' Egyptian friends thought that Moses had absolutely lost his mind. You ever had somebody say that to you? I had a friend once uh, tell me that his coworkers thought that he was out of his mind. And I said, why? And he said, because I give 10% <laughs> of my income to the Lord. And they said, they, they think that's crazy. I'm sure Moses' friends even thought that it was more crazy. Perhaps they said to Moses, Moses, don't you know that the people of Israel are slaves? You don't want to be known as one of them, do you? Moses, you can have all the pleasures of Egypt. Don't you realize that Pharaoh's own family has rescued you out of slavery of the Israelites? You can live like a god. And you want to identify yourself with those guys? Or maybe they said, Moses, don't you realize that you're giving up everything for nothing? Well, as we continue in this passage, before things get better for Moses, they actually become a little bit worse. Because <laughs> not, not, not only did he reject the prestige, the pleasures, and the treasures of Egypt, but he also antagonized the powers of Egypt. And we see, secondly, that faith rejects the power of this world. We see Moses actively doing this in verse 27. It says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. It says that he made a choice, carefully weighed out his options, and he forsook Egypt. He literally looked at Egypt and repented of it turned away from it. The idea is that he left it never to return. We see this word as well uh, for forsook in John chapter 8 and verse 9. In John chapter 8, uh, you see the religious leaders in Israel, they bring before Jesus a woman that was caught in adultery. And they say this woman is deserving of condemnation. She was caught in adultery, seeing what Jesus would say. And Jesus says to them, well, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And then verse 9 happens in John chapter 8 and verse 9. It says, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. It's the same word that they went out. They forsook that place never to come back. <laughs> Why? Because they knew that they could not cast the first stone. They knew that they themselves were not without sin. They turned away from that place never to return. And Moses made the same calculation. He looked at everything Egypt had to offer, and he didn't just try to be an Israelite for a while to see how it fit. No, he forsook it with finality never to return. And it tells us in verse 27 that when he forsook it, he didn't even look back, not even considering or fearing the king. We see uh, Jesus encourages us to make this same calculation in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. 
Do not fear, Jesus says, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't weigh the, the opinions, the power of men too highly because what can they accomplish? They can punish your body, but there's nothing that they can do that will have any lasting impact because your soul belongs to God. Jesus encourages us to make the same exact calculation that Moses made. Now, some might say, wait a minute. I thought that when Moses left Egypt, he left out of fear. He left because of fear. And we see that this is true in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 14. Uh, in Exodus chapter 2, he goes out because Acts chapter 7 tells us that he was moved in his heart to go and see what was going on with the Israelites. And so he goes down to visit the Israelites. And while he's down there with the Israelites, he sees an Egyptian abusing some Israelites. And so Moses, uh, wanting to deliver the Israelites, goes over and he slays the Egyptian. Well, the next day he goes out and he uh, is out with the Israelites again and he sees two Israelites quarreling with one another. And when he goes to be the mediator between them, they say to him, it says in Acts chapter, or not Acts, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 14, then he said, who made you prince over us? Do you intend, intend to kill us as you did the Egyptian? And so Moses feared, and he said, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh found out, Pharaoh sought Moses' life, and Moses fled from Egypt in fear. He said, didn't Moses fear Pharaoh? Yeah, the first time, definitely not the second time. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God doesn't always take you for your first instinct? God gives you more opportunities. God is gracious. Uh, that if you repent of what you were formerly guilty of, that God can use you. That God, throughout the Bible, uses those that fail but are willing to repent and turn back to the Lord. The first time Moses fled from Egypt, he fled in fear, but not the second time. And that's the time that the author of Hebrews is referring to. The second time, he comes back to Egypt. Now, in order to understand how vehemently Moses was defying the authority of Pharaoh, we have to remember back to the beginning of Exodus and Pastor Brandon's message last week. What was Pharaoh initially afraid of that caused him to enslave the Israelites? Does anybody remember? Exactly. The Israelites are in our lands. They're growing and multiplying. The blessing of God is on them. There might come a time where they become more powerful than us. There might come a time when people bow to them and not me. That's his concern. And so Moses is sent by God to go back to Egypt, and Moses brings the plagues of God upon Pharaoh for a couple reasons. One, uh, because Pharaoh has abused the people of God, and two, because Pharaoh is a wicked, idolatrous man, leading people in a wicked, idolatrous way. By Acts chapter 11, after nine of the plagues have passed, here's what we read. The Lord comes to Moses and says, Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man 
Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites because he was initially afraid that these people will turn their hearts away from me. Well, when Moses comes back and the Lord brings judgment upon Egypt, that's exactly what happens. God comes to Moses and says, when you leave Egypt, here's what I want you to do. I want every one of the Israelites to ask their Egyptian neighbors to give them wealth, and they will. Here's why. Because you have found favor in the sight of the Egyptians. The Egyptians see what's going on. They see that it's the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that is causing even them to be afflicted. You have favor in their eyes. What is happening? The Egyptians are literally shifting their loyalty away from Pharaoh. We see, moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. The people were shifting their loyalties away from Pharaoh, and they were recognizing the authority of Moses. Exactly what Pharaoh was afraid would happen, that's what's happening. We actually see that when the people of Israel leave Egypt in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 38, that they went out a mixed multitude that went up with them also in flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. Not only did the people's loyalties turn, but there were some Egyptians that said, you know what? If I'm going to identify with anyone, it is the God of Israel. Some of the Egyptians even made the calculation that Moses did. And by faith, they forsook Egypt and they turned to the one true God. And then Moses, in Exodus chapter 11, confronts Pharaoh for the very last time. It says, starting in verse 4 of Exodus 11, then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is, in, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals, and there will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man nor beast, that you may know that it's the Lord that makes a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come and bow down to me. And they shall say, get out and all the people who follow you. What was Pharaoh afraid of? He was, affair, he was afraid that his own authority would be usurped. And by his rebellion, that's exactly what happens. And Moses goes to him for the very last time and says, Listen, Pharaoh, because of your rebellion, God is coming and death will visit every household and the hearts of your people will turn against you. They will bow to me, not to you, and they will ask us to leave and to get out. And then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger, left Pharaoh never to see Pharaoh again. And that's the last thing he said. The last thing he said to a king whose greatest fear was that he would lose authority was, your people will bow to me. Pharaoh's rebellion caused exactly what he was afraid of. And Moses confronted his rebellion against God head on without fear. So by faith, Moses rejected both the prestige and power of this world. And while all of Moses' Egyptian friends might have scoffed at him, saying, don't you know that you're giving up everything for nothing? He knew that in light of eternity, that he was actually giving up absolutely nothing for everything. 
Moses' faith was not grounded in the passing pleasures of the treasures of Egypt, but it was grounded in the surpassing worth of the perfections of Christ. We see lastly that faith prefers. There's not really a great English word for this, but the idea uh, behind the word prefer is that you weigh out two options and you consider the surpassing perfections of Christ to be more worthy than all the treasures of this world. And so faith prefers the surpassing perfections of Christ. You might ask, how could Moses do all of this? How could he reject all that this world has to offer? How could he stand up against the most powerful man in the world? How could he do it? Because as Pharaoh, or as Moses, observed all that Pharaoh had, as Moses carefully made his calculation, his calculation was identifying with the reproaches of Christ is more valuable than all the treasures of this world. Identifying even with the insults of Christ, they are more valuable than all the treasures of this world combined. We see this calculation that Moses made in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. Esteeming, there's the idea again of carefully considering, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses held the opinion that when you compare all the wealth of this world collectively, all the treasure box of Egypt, and you compare it to the insults of Christ, the insults of Christ are more valuable every time. Paul made this same exact calculation as well. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Paul says, you know what? You ought to esteem others more valuable than yourself. Paul says again in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, those that are in your church serving you on your behalf, you ought to consider their work very highly. You ought to value it. Moses carefully considered and he came to the conclusion that the reproaches of Christ is more valuable than all the treasures of Egypt. By faith, Moses valued the reproach of Christ more valuable than all of that. And some might say, well, how could Moses consider himself to be identifying with Christ when he lived well before Christ? Well, we know that even the Old Testament believers, they accepted salvation from the Lord by grace through faith, just as we do. Just as we place our faith in what God has done in the past, they placed their faith in the surety of what God would do in the future. We know this because Jesus tells us this in John chapter 8 and verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Jesus even knew, or Abraham even knew that the day of Jesus was coming. By faith, he saw it and he rejoiced. In the same way, Moses knew that the day of Jesus was coming and by faith, he saw it. By faith, that which hadn't yet happened became substance. Remember the definition of faith? And he knew that it was more valuable. 
we see a record of Paul's calculation in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. At the time when Paul grew up, uh, he lived in a society that, that valued religious pursuits. And Paul lays out for us the calculation that he made out in his own mind. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I had everything. I checked all the boxes that all the religious people told me to check. And man, there are some people that might look at that and say, that's valuable. But what were gained to me, he says, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency. There's the idea. The surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. What is Paul saying? He's saying everything I had that the world considered to be valuable, I considered it to be a negative, a loss, a liability. Instead, Paul says, I considered it more valuable to associate myself with the suffering of Christ and the loss of all things, and everything I lost, I count as absolute garbage, that I might gain Christ. How could Moses resist all the treasures of Egypt? Because by faith, he looked to the reward. Moses' Egyptian friends might have said, you know what, don't you realize you're giving up all your reward? And Moses said, nope, I've made the calculation. I'm pursuing the reward. I'm pursuing greater joy in Christ. Not only was he able to resist all the treasures, but he also recognized that identifying with the power of God provides greater protection than all the powers of this world. We see this in verse 27 that we previously considered, but it says, By faith he turned his back on Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured. He persisted in his decision. He was not a flake. He said, I've made this choice, and I will keep this choice. Why? Because by faith, he saw him who is invisible. He knew who God was. He had seen a glimpse of God in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. And then he encountered the Lord. He had not seen the fullness of God, but by faith he believed the words of God, and he fell under the power of God. He knew that the power of God was greater than all the powers that this world has to offer. How could Moses reject all the power of Egypt? Because by faith, he knew that the hand of the invisible one is mightier, mightier than the hand of all the powers of this world. And then lastly, what Moses pursues is that Moses recognizes that identifying with the salvation of God provides greater assurance than all the presumptions of this world. Pharaoh was presuming that all the blessing upon Egypt was because of him. Actually, it was because of the people of Israel and God. He presumed that because 
Egypt was mighty. It was his doing. But no, it was mighty because of the Lord. Instead, Moses turned his back on the presumptions of this world and the presumptions of Pharaoh, and he turns to the salvation of God. And it says in verse 28 and 29, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry lands, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Moses, by faith, turned away from Egypt into the salvation of the Lord. And because of that, he kept the Passover. He carefully observed the instructions of God. And what was the instructions of God? Well, the instructions of God was to keep two things. Number one, the Passover. Number one, if you want the wrath of God to pass over you, if you do not want death to enter your house, Here's what you must do. Place your faith in the sprinkling of blood. Now we know that the sprinkling of blood in the Exodus was symbolic. It was an outward display of identification with the God who saves. But by faith, when they sprinkled the blood on their doorposts, they were placing their faith in God that his wrath would pass over their house and death would not enter. And by observing the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, they were looking forward to one day when everyone would place their faith in Christ. And if you want the wrath of God to pass over you, you must place your faith in the sprinkling of blood which was shed by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And because Moses looked to the salvation of God, it gave the people of Israel the ability to pass from one side of the Red Sea to the other. And they did so by faith. They escaped the grasp of the Egyptians by faith. When they passed from one side of the Red Sea to the other, they trusted that God would keep the waters from swallowing them up. And when Pharaoh and his army come behind the, the uh, Israelites, they presume that, hey, if the Israelites can do it, we can do it. And so they attempted to do the same thing. And the word that the author of Hebrew uses for attempted is, is that, that they presumed to be able to do the same thing, but failed. <laughs> so it's a loaded word, but the word means that they tried to do, they presumed to be able to do what the Israelites could do, and it crushed them. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says that because they attempted this, they were drowned. And the word that he uses for drowned is also an idiom for, for being swallowed up. They presumed that they could safely pass through the sea just like the Israelites, but instead, because they crossed by presumption, they were swallowed up, never to be seen again. So Moses lived his life by faith. In the end, wow, he was vindicated, wasn't he? As all the treasures of Egypt were willingly handed over to the Israelites, as the Israelites were led, not by their own doing, but by God's, from one side of the Red Sea to the other, while the Egyptians pursued them, trusting in chariots and the might of men, and they were swallowed up by the Red Sea. 
by faith, Moses endured. And even after that, by faith, Moses endured with long-suffering all of the nitpicking of the Israelites. If we go back to our illustration from the beginning, why were the wild rats in Richter's later experiments able to endure longer than the ones in his starting experiments? Well, they could survive longer because they knew that there was life beyond the jar. And as difficult as it was to tread water for long periods of time, they could not and they would not give up if there was hope. How was Moses able to reject the prestige and the power of Egypt and endure a life in the wilderness, leading a group of ungrateful people? How could Moses endure it? Well, he could make those choices. And he could endure his time in the wilderness because he knew that there is life beyond this world. There is rescue from God. His eyes were fixed on the riches that he could have in Christ. And perhaps you're wondering this morning how you are going to endure. How will you provide for your family when the price of everything seems to go up 7% every couple of months? Where will you find hope when the leader of the free world gets on television and warns the world, hey, there's a coming food shortage? Where do you look when all the news talks about is war, disease, and famine? Well, like Moses, you reprioritize your life because your life is not about life in the jar. You're pursuing something beyond that. By faith, we can see it. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do in chapter 12. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here is exactly what Moses did. Moses looked to the reward, and you look to Christ. Because here it is, Christ is the reward. You might say, well, well, things didn't necessarily work out for Moses because he went out into the wilderness and they bugged him for the next 40 years. But things did work out for Moses because at the end of his life, he was taken up to fellowship with the Lord and there the Lord took him into eternity to receive Christ. Moses looked to the reward and he gained it. How do you live in a difficult world? You look to the reward, which is Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith, who even himself, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Moses looked to his reward in Christ, and in so doing, when he crossed the Red Sea, a mixed multitude lifted up their voice in the praise to the God that saves Our time in this world is temporary. Moses knew that. He looked at all the treasures of Egypt and says, ah, those things are going to pass away. They don't matter. Instead, he dedicated his life to leading people to have faith in God. By the time that they left Egypt, even Egyptians had repented of their Egyptianness. Can the same be said for us? 
Yes, we're living in this world, but through our example, can others in this world recognize that there must be something beyond? By faith, Moses led a mixed multitude out of Egypt. By faith, we, looking to Christ, have the opportunity to lead people out of this world into the presence of God. But we can only do that when we endure by faith. We cannot do that when we are swayed to the right or to the left by the cares or concerns of this world. We cannot be swallowed up by the same things that they're swallowed up with because we know that this isn't our life. There's life beyond the jar. And like Moses was moved from one side of the Red Sea to the other, bringing others into the kingdom of God, when you're moved from this world into the kingdom of God, who will you bring with you? Are you, like Moses, laying down your life and enduring in such a way that would lead others to the same conclusion that all the treasures of this world are complete garbage in comparison to the surpassing value of the perfections of Christ.